0: You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall Editors of the Batuta Advocate On Desert Rock FM Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate radio show Where we interview some iconic Australians Mostly Australians we have on this show uh, At least once a week A lot of you have been listening for many years And uh, yeah, we've had a You know, as diverse as ever year, I suppose, you know, we've ranged between music and art and sports and uh, politics, of course, different people every week. And, you know, in in Australia, in in the public eye, particularly within music and the arts, there's not many stayers, is what we've found, uh, as long as we've been doing this podcast. But today's guest is, uh, so much so that they have been immortalised with the highest... On as you can get in the world of rock and roll in Australia. Thank you for joining us, Mark Wilson from Jet.
1: Hi, thanks for having me. Long time, long time scroller, first time uh, interviewee. <laughs> oh well,
0: thank you. I'm glad you could uh, see us in the flesh. We're not, we're not actually AI. We've worked long and hard creating a Batuta voice that cannot be emulated by. AI. We've since learned. We mm. put a few. <laughs> yeah,
2: and as you're about to learn, we're way funnier on the internet. Um, yeah, than yeah. we are behind the microphone. Well,
0: <laughs> the, now we're kind of fanning a little bit, and um, you know that's not conducive to uh, honest regional news. When we when we start asking all the questions that we wanted to ask, this all this all twenty years since uh, you guys kind of hit the scene, and it was twenty. It's twenty years since Get Born.
1: That's correct. Yeah, yeah.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about? the i mean now we're looking back at it all you've kind of become a staple in you know australian music australian uh screen as well you know jet's always been included in you know w- with television shows or you know just on tv can you tell me leading into the release of get born did you think this was going to get away like th- this <laughs> was going to be the one
1: i mean look we knew that we look we knew we had good tunes but the same time so much of it is luck you know you can have great tunes and having zero luck you know um you can be doing the wrong you know the thing that people aren't kind of into at the time or whatever but so you've got to you've got to talk gotta chalk a bit of it up to that lady luck but um look we had confidence that it was going to do okay but i think that it went a lot better than any of us could have imagined like you know sold over five million records yeah. and it was probably one of the last records before things stopped selling records, you know, yeah. um, which is, you know, it was one of the last, it was before all of the, it's all before YouTube, before iTunes. I mean, our song launched the iPod, you know, yeah. like they used it in the first iPod commercial. So, you know, that's as a, as a touch point in time, that's a pretty big turning point in the way people use music, you yeah. know, listen to music.
2: Yeah, there's um, a bit more than luck involved in becoming global superstars, uh, well-known <laughs> all around the world. I did want to ask about that iTunes commercial. Obviously now, you know, people would jump at the opportunity. It's a no-brainer. Everyone wants to be on commercials like that. Everyone wants to associate with, you know, various tech brands, etc. Back then, they're breaking through. They're doing something fairly different. Mm. It's not a surefire hit or a surefire winner. At that point in time, what were the negotiations like, and what was your perspective on saying, "Yeah, let's have a crack at that"?
1: Look, I can't really remember negotiations. We being like probably twenty-two-year-old idiots, probably just wanted a free iPod (laughs) out of it. We probably would have been happy for that. Uh, But for us, it was like it was just we saw it as a new front. We we saw it come as a new frontier of music, a new medium, which evidently it it has become. All that kind of streaming sort of side of things. But we just thought, well, it would be like, you know, launching, a, the, you know, using your song to launch a, like, vinyl or something, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's our, it's our, it's our new, it's our new way of, even, even though that the actual technology itself is sort of superseded. But it was definitely at a time, it wasn't like the done thing to put your at, song in an ad. It was kind of the start of all that. Yeah. But yeah. we saw it as an exciting kind of, like, new technology and yeah. yeah, and I think we we're I think we we're probably right. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, did it's, you a get before, a f- it's a before and after. The fact that we're doing this today, this interview on a podcast, that all yeah. the, the term podcast comes from the iPod, which you launched. Yeah. Uh, Twenty yeah. years ago. Mm.
2: Did you get a
1: few um, nanos out of it, or did they only give you we a got, shuffle? We've got. Or? We, got we, we, we didn't get anything other than a little <laughs> bit of cash. Like it wasn't even a lot of cash. Good it was just man. like it just going to be. It was going to be a global thing. So we were. Ha- we thought. Well, it'll probably it'll be in everyone's. It'll be everywhere at once, you know. Yeah. So we, just, we thought it's better than trying to get on each radio station in each country in each market. For you sure. know, Like we can go across across the globe with one one go. Yeah. Mm.
0: Tell me. Um. I, I want to talk about that. Like in that era. So you guys were like the the you know as you said twenty two year old. I imagine lunatics at that point because it's all happening say. for you and things are leveling up day by day. And you know, Okay, now we're touring this and now we're doing that and now we're on CSI and now we're, you know, all these things are happening all at once. The, probably the old guard at that time, so we're talking like the squarely Gen X kind of MTV generation rockers, had in their mind, particularly in Australia, this kind of anti-selling out thing. And I guess you guys were so young that you could just not buy into their code and you could just, as you said, you know, use a use an iPod commercial uh, in lieu of radio airplay, um, and that yeah. will take you around the world. Do you think being young actually helped you guys go that big?
1: Probably, yeah. I mean, I think it, you know, it would have been nice to have a couple albums under your belt, or a bit of life yeah. experience under your belt uh, for some things. But yeah. at the same time, like thinking back now, like if I was trying to do it now, do that because we just—I've seen schedules from back then. And we pretty much didn't have a day off, but like we didn't have more than a week off in two and a half years, you know. Like it's, it's terrifying, but now, as a now as a 42 43 year old, I'd be like, Jesus Christ, I'd need a week off after two weeks. You yeah, know? Like, yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, hangovers last for a couple of days,
1: they definitely do.
0: Where were you guys um, at? Where were you guys at at that point in time in your life? I'm asking, was it a group of single blokes who, who were actually able to just pack briefcases? There weren't kids in the picture, there weren't anything like that. It was you were able to just no, become no transient kids. human I, vessels.
1: Uh, yeah, no kids. I think only one of us had a steady. Uh, Cam had a girlfriend who's now his wife, so they, you know, they went the, they went for the long haul. But um, yeah, we were. I mean, I'd never even been out of Australia, man. Like, but when we started, you know, I grew up in grew up in Geelong, and I'd I'd moved to Melbourne when I was twenty, and then met the Jet Dudes a year later, and then I was gone, you know. <laughs> so,
2: <laughs> what was the process meeting those jet guys? You said you came out oh, of Geelong, I, they came up up north. How did you stumble into them?
1: Yeah, they were from the sort of east, southeastern suburbs of Melbourne. Uh, I met them at a pub, just yeah. like you'd meet anybody. At the time, they weren't; they were just a band, another band, and we just chatted and we got along. And they asked me to try out for the band because they were looking for a bass player. And initially, I said, "No, nah, I've already got my own band," you know. <laughs> but <I> thought, yeah. <laughs> And then I hung out with them for the night, and we got along so well. We had so much in common that I was. The next day, I texted Nick on my Nokia, whatever phone it was at the time. Yeah, yeah that's it with Snake. <laughs> um, I texted Nick and said, "Oh, it's, you know, like, oh, that actually be pretty good to have try out." You know, he's like, "Oh, cool." He's a. He sent me a, or he gave me a CD with like seventeen songs on. He's like, "I'll learn four or five songs," and um, I learned them all in a couple of days and sort of changed all the parts and did you know, wrote all my own parts and stuff for the songs, because I thought if I'm going to be in the band, I I want sort of to put my own stamp on it. So, you know, big balls when you're 21, you probably wouldn't have that. But then, you know, then I was in the band. But uh, at that stage, you were just doing little pubs in Melbourne and stuff. You know, it was it was very small time. time.
0: Was there I, I want to ask this now because you're old enough to reveal the Illuminati that's involved and. Uh, You know, when young men get picked up like this in in a, you know, they've all got long hair and they smell of cigarettes and whatever. But then eventually someone who's very clean cut in a suit walks in the room Um, and is probably 20, 30 years older than you. When was that moment?
1: Well, it wasn't actually someone. I think one of the first people to see us was a guy called Glenn Dickey who's now based in Sydney, but he worked for EMI down here. I think he was one of the first to spot us and he... And there was a few local people, small, like a a guy who ended up being our lawyer, David. Uh, He had a little label and small labels, but we were kind of like had a fairly strong ambition to not just sign a little Australian deal and just stay here. We wanted to sign a deal with overseas. So eventually the overseas labels started hearing about us. And then one day at a, a small pub in Melbourne, all the industry was all in this one pub watching us play a gig. It was pretty stupid.
0: Oh, so the word got around by that point.
1: But they they came here to see us. We yeah. made them come here. They were like, I'll oh, come over to America and do a showcase. And we are like, no, no, you come over here and watch us play in our pub that we like yep. playing in.
2: How are the negotiations on those first album deals there? I noticed you guys have three albums. Some stories you hear about you know, young guys coming through, young girls coming through, getting locked into some tricky deals where they don't see a lot of coin out of it. Did you guys have anyone helping you out there, or how did you kind of yeah finish? no we
1: did we we had we had good managers and stuff like that, and also we were pretty hot, so we were getting offered good stuff good deals you know yeah. so if someone was offering a crappy deal, we just you know we we could that's why we said for everyone to come out here to see us because we thought that will be the thing that like if they all come out here, then they're keen yeah. you know if if we have to go to them and they can just show up you know and then go home, then we don't know who's keen and who's not so.
0: So it all happens at once. Everything, as you said, you know, didn't have a week off for two and a half years. I introduced this podcast by saying that you've been immortalized and you have been in the, uh, you know, in the Arias Hall of Fame. What do you think was the biggest moment there? And we ask a lot of our guests this. What was the moment where you're like, holy shit, this is lifelong now? You know, we're, we're not just a flash in the pan. We are going to live off this and this is going to define us.
1: Gee, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like, I mean, it'd be things like winning a, VMI, a MTV Music Award or, yeah. you know, not that, the, not that you do it for awards or care about it, but it's like a bit of a nod. Yeah. I think like getting asked to close out the year on SNL that year, their final show, play it being the musical guest was pretty big. But for me, like the thing that I always remember is when, it's also when I knew that it wasn't just like a small thing it was when we were playing we only had an ep out at the time we'd, we hadn't we'd finished the album but the album didn't come out for six eight months after we actually completed recording it we just toured and toured it and do it between and we were playing at a festival in japan fuji rock on like the second stage like a tent big tent and there was a band on before us who we knew from an la and they were massive in america and like and there was like six people watching them and we're like we're fucked here yeah. like we're gonna these they, no one's no they don't know these guys they're not yeah. gonna know us yeah. we've only got an ep out so you know we were a bit like oh shit this is gonna be hard work we've come all the way to japan to play to like six people <laughs> anyway we went back to the dressing room and then when we came out on stage there was so many people and they were going so nuts they actually had american military guys there as extra backup for security that they use on the front Oh, on, yeah. on the main stage just as extra people extra muscle and they ended up having to bring them into our front of you know our punter barrier to to help bring all the people over the thing because everyone was going so nuts and we'd always heard that you know crowds in japan were very mellow and polite <laughs> but w- that's not the case for us and, and at that point i was like holy shit this is This is global. This is people in Japan who've heard an EP going absolutely mental that they needed to bring in the Americans.
0: Yeah, the American um, soldiers who were just here. The
1: American soldiers, yeah. yeah.
0: Who were just here, just got a base down around the corner.
1: (laughs) Exactly, yeah.
0: And now we've got to ask the questions about the living. Like, was it hard living or are you... I mean, I'm I'm guessing it must have been to a degree because of how you started. You said you went out in the piss with them, I'm guessing. You realised you got on well enough to send them a text the next day. So, obviously, you've got... The pub rock thing going on. Mm-hmm. Then you're all similar age. You're all learn- you're all kind of got a disposable income, and you're in yeah. that industry where you know the grown ups expect you to drink a carton of piss at work on a yeah. night. You know, uh, you know, in a green room. It's not many industries like that where you're expected to drink. You know, the the employers, the venue owners, yeah. the tour managers put grog in there. You expect you to drink it, and then You know, you end up doing that. What? How many nights a week? How was it? I
1: mean, that is exactly what you imagine. If anyone was a 22 year old with, you know, unlimited cash and in a new city every night playing rock and roll, like it's exactly what the cliche. (laughs) Exactly. Expect, (laughs) you know, we did exactly what you'd expect us to do. uh, Like anyone probably would. Yeah. And we did that for ages. And then it just catches, one day it just catches up with you and you're like, ouch. Like, and now when we play, it's, it's all about the show. We'll have a drink before the show and we'll have a drink after the show yeah. but it's much more about the show yeah. as the important thing and it, you know what? It's interesting about that. The shows are really heaps better. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's what, But <laughs> that's the truth but, of the I mean, matter. At, yeah. For example, at the at the Arias, it was like, at the Arias this week, we played last at the Hall of Fame at the Ari Awards and, because um, we were, inductees always get inducted and, and then they play and we close the show and, um, it was like I said to I said to one ex footy player, ex AFL player. I was like, it was. He was like, how was it? Did you did you get drunk? And I was like, actually, it was like Brownlow night. If you're playing in the grand final, yeah, that, at the end of the yeah, week, yeah, like right. you basically you're sitting there like holding a glass of champagne, but you're just not or, or a soda water, and you're not drinking it. Either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the past, it wouldn't <laughs> have gone that way. I know. That's, it.
0: that's a very good way of putting it. Brown, it's Brownlow night if you're playing in the grand final. Um, yeah,
1: was that a surreal moment
2: Thanks. being inducted into the uh, Hall of Fame there, or was it just it was another moment? Obviously, that was nice, but was it like, wow, yeah. this is pretty? Incredible. You
1: know what? It was like I was a bit kind of mm, a bit funny about it. Like I felt weird. It, it didn't. It didn't sit. It's sort of just. It's just weird to get honored in music for me. Like I just feel like mm. like it's obviously we're grateful, but for me, it's not why you do it. You know, it's not. Mm. Uh, you know, and it was a bit of a stress about it. You know, you got to play in front of the whole industry. But when we played, and when the, we just feeling the love from all the bands and all the music industry at once. And sometimes, you know, we we often would feel like maybe a bit ostracized from the Australian music industry because we we tended to go overseas and yeah. and look for opportunities rather than just sticking here and doing the grind here. We'd be doing it in America or the Europe or USA. I mean, or uk or whatever so to feel that so you just feel the love and the excitement and everyone just knows the tunes because they're all they're part of them the dna now within Australian music because mm. our first few records are some of the biggest selling rock records of all time here yeah for
0: sure um, i, I want to talk about that how did you maintain the dna of you know get born into shine on you know you got a couple of years in between each of them right you got two yeah, the, and three, a lot two, happened
1: the, a lot of, a lot happened in between those two albums, too. So Shine On's a bit of a darker vibe because in that period between the two albums, Nick and Chris's dad died of cancer while we were on the road. Oh, um right. So it was very dark. It was a bit more of a sort of darker feeling around that record. And it was a bit more of a grind to get it done. And also the sophomore album, as everybody knows, is fucking like pain in the ass because all of a sudden it's your job. Is it <laughs> scary? Um, yeah, it's terrifying.
0: Mm. What are the feelings? And, 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 w- and when was the pressure valve? Because obviously you come through again three years after that.
1: I think the, the the pressure is on you. You put it on yourself, but it's like you're feeling like I feel like you'd handle it better now as mm. a sort of someone who's seen the world and you know mm. gone through a lot of things. But at the time, you're 25, 26, and you're like, "Holy shit, we've got all these these big companies are invested in us now, and all these people who you know put their jobs on the line and yeah. and stuff like that." And now we've got a we've got to make art for commerce sake rather than yeah. just, just making a record that we wanted to make that we just made in a shed, you know, or wrote in a shed.
0: Yeah, and there's there's no, like, you come to us and see us in our pub, you know. You kind of don't yeah, have yeah, those exactly. bargaining chips anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you think was the one in the, in the second album that kind of broke through, that, you know, gave you the um, pressure release?
1: I think with, uh, the thing with that record, it came out, in a time when after that, that record came out after all of the streaming stuff had started and the Napster and, and people had started buying less records. So I think we were holding it up to perform exactly the same or better as the first record, but without sort of realizing that that industry had changed a lot in that period. And we probably hadn't sort of kept up because we are so busy. So, you know, there was YouTube, there's all the things that we have now. It sort of started in between those two albums. But in saying that, it still like performed almost as well as the first one. But it, I think this, the songs on that were we'll bring, it, bring It On Back was pretty big here, especially in Australia and the UK. We had Put Your Money Where Your Mouth Is. It did really well in America. But um, yeah, well, there's another song called Rip It Up, which was another one that was, we released here. Yeah, Rip really well. It
0: Up. Rip It Up went off. You do some funny things too, you guys. I mean, you're, you're old rock stars. And, and, you know, Shaka Rock included a cover. Of never tear us apart. Did it? Yeah. Not on. It, it, in in your pre-order. Must,
1: yeah. Oh, it must have been like a special. <laughs> it must. Fuck. Oh, you know more than me. <laughs> it must have been like a live recording or some I don't even know. You know what? It's probably one of those things of the labels. Like, oh, we need a. <laughs> we need an extra couple of songs because Japan always wanted a couple of extra songs on their releases, and then you need like, oh, we've got pre-order. You know release where you can get an extra song so we've probably just dug something out of the fucking bin and (laughs) we just had we just had sitting there and added it because you know it's hard to once you're on the road getting back into the studio and recording another song is pretty yeah yeah, pretty hard to find time for so So, you know but it'll probably be a live version or something yeah yeah
0: i I want to talk about that when you when you kind of you're in a position where you've got all these people investing in you, you're making your music, you're on tour, the tickets are sold. And I've actually been in a green room before and and got to see that like kind of almost moment of freedom that a band has when they have a piece of paper and all the band rallies around and they kind of, you know, figure out uh, what they're going to play tonight. You know, they put, yeah. you know, it's depending on what kind of band you are, people do that on the night. Yeah. And when you're yeah. in that position to do whatever the fuck you want. Have you ever done anything... I mean, Never Tear Us Apart is is a good one to hit them with. Can you remember doing something like that that was just a complete curveball for this audience or maybe uh, played something for them?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think we did... I remember in Boston once we were playing um, at this venue, theatre over the road from Fenway Park, and we we learnt that sort of 60s garage song called Dirty Water. Yeah, and right. they, all, they all sing at the stadium. <laughs> And it, like, we learned that and we played it and it went down like it was like they were going to tear the house down. And <laughs> then we played it and we played it first. So it was kind of a mistake because we were like, oh, we'll go, we'll probably butcher it. But it's like, yeah, it's this famous song by a, by a band from Boston from the 60s. I can't remember. the, the was like a loved, real, that. real, yeah, yeah real garage band song it's, and it's one of the songs that they play at Fenway Park all the time. Yeah, yeah. Which I think we may have, we knew the song, but I think we may have got in insight into it from like a local promoter or something yeah. we met, you know like uh, yeah and things like that doing things like that where you play a song for a town is that was always pretty fun yeah. even if you fuck it up or butcher it like they didn't care <laughs> yeah they'd appreciate um, it <laughs> it's pretty hard to butcher a garage rock song they're, they're pretty you know janky and, and easy <laughs> to play but it, i remember that just like the whole i think what had happened was that the time we came through boston before we played it as like our walk-on music and they went nuts, so I think we thought, oh, next time we'll play this. the song. Yeah yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Gonna treat them to it. I wanted to ask you guys obviously global superstars, in kind of a rare air for Australian musical acts, you would have been around and performed with or in front of all sorts of different people, you know, Jay-Z, Beyonce, yeah. etc., musicians everywhere. Did you have any random pinch yourself moments where Someone you kind of never would have expected or someone you idolised, you know, turned up wanting to be backstage at a show or wanted to meet you in a certain place that you were in?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, we got asked to tour the Stones, like they liked us. So they asked us to go out on the road with them a lot in Europe and and it was pretty, it was pretty crazy. So it'd be like, you'd be doing your European summer festivals on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then the Stones would have us out on their tour on tuesday wednesday thursday you know <laughs> so you'd be kind of like splitting your time between doing your own festivals one t- in one or two countries and then you'd meet them in portugal or something and do some shows with them and then you go back out and it got to a point where we was they were so comfy with us we were having dinner with them every night and then in the catering area it wasn't like separated or anything they'd be like if you're on your own they'd be like ronnie you'd be like come sit over here with us yeah, yeah right like, hey ronnie <laughs> and when we had a day off or a night off in town, they would get an invite from – because all of their – I'll preface this – all their security guys at the time, I don't know if it's still the case, but all their, like, the guys that, like, live in security with Mick and Keith, they were all – they were Aussies. Yeah, right. So I think they they liked us because we were, like, you yeah. know, Aussies and, yeah. and, and they knew us and we – I think instantly it got – and if you're in with those guys, you're in yeah. – they're kind of the gatekeepers. Yeah. <laughs> so – like the guy, like there, there was a dude there who was like ex-Special Forces Australian guy who would stand at the front of the show and, and basically wherever Mick went, he'd, he'd go with his eye on the audience and he'd wear, he wore like Kevlar gloves so he could stop knives and shit like that. Like, it was pretty, they, they, were, they were big boys. I think they were big like ex-rugby guys or something. Yeah, they had right. That sort of vibe. They were, they were big boys. They were But they was, treated us really well. So we'd get invited to all the special events, you know, like you know, on a rooftop in Madrid, they've got the best flamenco guitarists and dancers in Spain. Yeah. And then they put on a party, they're having a party, the Stones are putting on it. And we'd always get invited to those funny things like that. So,
0: <laughs> Well, you have to actually yeah. behave – after everything, yeah. it's like we've, <laughs> we've, I know, yeah. we've created this this world where we don't have to behave, but for whatever yeah. reason, in front of these people that probably taught us how to not behave, we have to yeah. behave. Yeah. Or you <laughs> get a exactly, Kevlar yeah.
2: glove on your shoulder and uh, walked
1: out. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs>
2: That's a funny one. I um I was also wondering, I've been seeing a bit recently on particularly TikTok, you start seeing clips surfacing every now and then of kind of famous riffs or beats or whatever and the yeah. behind the scenes of that moment where it's found, you know, and you can see a Timberland going like, holy shit, this is it. For you guys, do you remember the moment where you found that riff for Are You Gonna Be My Girl?
1: I can't even remember that long ago. I remember when we made it in the studio thinking, I wonder if this song's a single or not. Who knows? You know, like, yeah,
2: because okay. sometimes
1: you know, when it's your song, you just sort of, you treat them all kind of the same. You might go like, that song's really good, but it's almost other people who have a better sense of that kind of thing than you.
2: Yeah. I yeah, find
1: yeah. like you can think what you think is the right one, but like often someone with a little bit different perspective will be able to shine a better light on it than you. But yeah, uh, I guess everyone probably thought it was that was going to be the first big one, but I guess when I was recording it in the studio, I just yeah, don't. It's a bit of that sort of stuff's a bit of a blur, to be honest, because yeah. you don't really remember how it started. It's so long ago.
0: Yeah, tell me um, about what really would have been. I guess as an apex for you guys was Wave Aid, right? Mm. Was this like you guys were at your very at your height? Did Jet play there, or was it just the that one off? Uh, rights tribute band. That
1: was just the rights. So we did. You know the one we did was the um, the bush. The one they did for the bushfires. I had at the MCG and they had it at the SCG. And we did both. We did the MCG one and then we got on a plane and flew up to Sydney. And did did the uh, SCG. And the other thing we did was um, remember they did live live, Aid? Yeah, live, live Aid. eight.
0: Yeah, live
1: eight. Yeah, we did that, which was pretty great. And that was we did that. We did the Canadian one of that, and we actually got up. Neil Young asked us to jump up and sing with him on a, particular on a song which Whoa. was pretty wild yeah, yeah.
0: that's a pitch yourself
1: yeah 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 and i was wearing fucking white pants when i got up there with neil young which just so, felt totally inappropriate with neil young <laughs> it's <just> like <laughs> i just remember remember going like oh, fuck what my fucking white pants and that's like neil young is not a white pants artist
0: no 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 not at all he's a, yeah he's a he's an old he's man yeah
1: <laughs> <a> <laughs> Denim and flannel, yeah. yes. Uh,
0: so you guys did, on paper, disband. As you said the other night, Brown Lows, it was your Brown Lows, your, your, your yeah. grand final Brown Lows. in
1: the grand final, yeah.
0: But you, do you guys tour and, and stuff and and, and yeah, like, yeah. What, what's the current working relationship?
1: We do, yeah. We, we've sort of just decided to start, Like we actually decided earlier in the year that we were going to start working together again and. And figuring out how that will look and how we'll do it and how we'll work it with families and whatnot. And we we just did a tour of Australia just before the RAs, but we did one of those ones where we just played like if anys like more and Forum and stuff like that that we could sell out like in twenty minutes without yeah. even ad really advertising. So it was it was like one of those ones where even my friends didn't know I I did a tour because we. <laughs> When you sell them out that fast, you don't need to waste any money on <laughs> advertising them, you know. Yeah. But, you know, that was just to get a sense of what we had, what we could still do here and how long it would take to sell tickets, just to get a sense of what we can sort of aim for in the future. But now we've got we've got stuff. To, we'll be announcing some – we just announced the show in Darwin for Base in the Grass Festival, which will be unreal. It's a great festival if you can avoid the giant fucking bugs. They'd oh yeah, fly, yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd fly into your face in slow motion to, in the lights and just go <laughs> right in your face. Really slow, but you can't you can't squat them away squat them away because you're busy playing. Um
0: <laughs> I love that but that's visceral a visceral memory that's a, you have.
1: Oh mate, yeah. And I might have to go up to that one earlier because I just saw my football club's gonna be playing up there two days before, so I might have to go up earlier and watch them play at TIO. And we've got another Bunch of shows we're going to announce probably soon. I don't know the exact date, but we can't say anything. I can't say it yet because I think it's still embargoed. Yeah, right. But it's just a a, yeah, a big sort of tour again. So you kind of, I
0: guess, twenty years since get born, and you and you're now doing ARIA Hall of Fame, and you're getting the ball rolling again. And it's also ten years since you, you know, was it twenty twelve? The yeah, yeah. guys kind of disbanded.
1: Yeah, well, so we disbanded. Then we kind of got back together in twenty. fifteen or earlier. We we got asked by Springsteen to go on tour with him. So we were like ah oh, it was getting and Springsteen.
0: <laughs> two people you probably don't <laughs> Two
1: two people you can't really say no to, you know. Um so we did we did that and then we kind of we enjoyed that so we sort of we did we we done it did a tour of Japan not long after and then we did Fuji Rock again and we did uh another like another Australia a bigger Australian tour about five years ago. But we kind of just done little bits and pieces and a European thing, but it was more like oh we'll just do stuff when it pops up and it sounds like fun. Yeah. Rather than, like a lifestyle band yeah. rather than like a touring thing. But I think over the past year we've decided, well it's you know, maybe it would be a good idea to start playing again. We're enjoying it, um, write new stuff. Yeah. Because it's been ages since we've written new and, stuff. And so I, I want to
0: ask, what do you do with this when it ends? Like The music stops, 2012, you kind of, as you said, 2015, you get back together, you, you, you're a bit more of a lifestyle band. But what are you guys all doing outside of that?
1: Well, I do all kinds of shit. I have another band with a bunch of Australian other australian musicians with cram from spider bait darren yeah. from powderfinger and Davey from umi and we called ark and we do basically every year we will we'll do a we're doing led zeppelin four this year for example which is like we but we go out and we meticulously recreate an album that we love and we do it we do a big tour tend to play all over the country with uh, capital cities and capital, capital cities and regional Mostly, we play. We tend to play a lot of shows in Queensland. It seems to go down well. Up, we're doing Toowoomba and Maryborough and Tweed Heads, which is technically on the edge, right? Yeah, and Caloundra in Brisbane. It, it, so we spend most of the time in in Queensland. And well, then, they
0: got those big sprawling pub venues, don't they? The mm, and like no, the, we do.
1: But this shows we do. show we do in sort of big theatres. So right. you know, yeah, like QPAC or something like that in, right, in right. Brisbane. Mm. So it's a big, it's a big show. It's a big grand kind of fucking. All big, right Opulent show that we have, crazy lights and and we did Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd last year, and then we did Neil Young's Harvest the year before that. So we just pick an album we love that's kind of a classic, and then we just try and emulate it almost like a um, recital. Yeah, so right. So that keeps me busy, and then I do a bit of tour managing and stuff as well in between. Mostly comics. I just finished with Tim Minchin yesterday. Yeah, right. I did right, and you know I look after Rob Brydon when he comes out here and. Um, <laughs> You know, so you know all the tricks like to, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's <laughs> you know it's basically you just get paid to hang out with a funny person. Yeah, yeah, do. yeah.
0: What uh, medium-priced hotels in Australia have the best mattresses? Uh, Ridges Bowen
1: Hills. Yes, everyone says know. it.
0: Everyone <laughs> says Ridges Bowen Hills near the Ipswich really? Showground. It's, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's true though.
1: It's like it's like two hundred and fifty dollars, two hundred dollars a night, or one hundred and eighty dollars a night. But the beds
0: great yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, the beds are so good get this you know Linda bull she's from vicar and Linda sings with um, Paul Kelly and inner artists in their own right vicar, uh, Linda was on tour with us doing some singing vocals for us and she loved the bed there so much she bought one you <laughs> can she contacted the hotel. <laughs> she contacted the hotel and she bought she she bought a bed there. She paid for it and then they shipped it to her house. <laughs> I'm not joking. It's true. Man, we learn about is-
0: we learn about it from um, when we did a national like we did a tour, a stage tour. And uh, we, we learned every like, you know, three or four people we met along the way were like, Oh, your first tour, where your first tour? You stay in the ridges in Bowen Hills, you stay at the ridges, and we're like, Yeah, we are actually. <laughs> And uh, yeah, we uh, we learned that from the roadie Yogi. Yeah, there's something in the yeah, springs. I,
1: it's true. It's like I can't believe you've heard that before because for me, it's it's not even a. It's like just a pretty basic hotel, <laughs> and it's in an okay spot. But the, it's just good. I just like it. It's just yeah. something about it when you tour. When you, yeah, like you <laughs> it's not fancy or it's not. If it's not like where I you know go for a fancy weekend for sure. But you know,
0: when you tour that much, I guess as well. You know, and you and you pass those days. It's like. We are talking beds now. You
1: know, we're not talking about... Oh, yeah, about, we're talking
0: beds. We're not talking, we're talking proximity fairness. to the valley anymore. We're talking, how <laughs> yeah, am I going nah. to sleep?
1: We're talking feather count. <laughs> and- <laughs> yeah. Well, mate, yeah. um,
0: here's to getting back on the road with the boys. Thank you. And, Thanks uh, for talking to me. Congratulations on, um, you know, all your accolades, your honours, as as we said Thank before. Um, but it's time for you to perform in front of fans, not industry suits. <laughs> Thank
1: you very much, and what I've got to say one of my, one of my one of the things a patooter thing that I sense people endlessly and have done for years. It's my favorite thing you've ever put up. It's like there's there's no love greater than a man and a dog, a dad and a dog. He said he didn't want, <laughs> and every <laughs> and every time every time a friend gets a shit little dog. <laughs> I send them that thing, and every and every time they buy that dog, they're in love. Like yeah. two years later, yeah. you, they're yeah. just like pictures of them cuddling it and stuff. It's like
2: it's such it's a beautiful most- process, you know. It starts yeah. off with it being a stupid <laughs> mongrel rat thing, and they're yeah. not interested, and then all of a sudden, the weeks go by, and they're just you know out in the backyard with it, having a bit of fun. Once and- they've once they've <laughs> reluctantly
0: fenced the entire backyard,
1: yeah,
2: yeah. And yeah. like, oh. a friend of
1: mine just bought a papillon for his daughters, and I was like, oh, he got the he got the screenshot. Mm. that I have saved in my phone.
0: <laughs> well, there's another layer to that, too. They say that a lot as well about the dad. It's a much more compromised position, but the dad with the uh, unplanned pregnancy in the household, like the daughter, so it's like, <laughs> like the unwanted grandfather, they they then become that, too. So. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Well, thanks, mate, and uh, all the best. Um, Thank you. Thanks for having me. 20 years since Get Born, and... Uh, Jet are back on the road. Thank you,
2: Mark. Thanks, Mark.